You are listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm a wife, mother of four, and the creator of the blog Simple Living Made Simple, formerly winging it on the homestead. I am far from an expert, but I am learning and growing and figuring the simple living self-sufficiency thing out as I go. I love to help encourage modern mothers to incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. Join me this season as I interview homesteading experts on a variety of timely and important topics and share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through gardening, food preservation, cooking from scratch, making your own products, all while keeping it all practical, intentional, and realistic. Hi guys, you're listening to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. In this episode, I speak with Danielle from the Homebound Hippie over on Instagram, and we are talking all about how to cook wild game. Wild game as far as hunting and cooking food that you get from hunting, deer, elk, um, those kinds of things is something I have no idea about. And if my husband went hunting and brought home a deer, I um, would have no, no idea what to do with it. So that's why I brought Danielle on today to give us her expertise about how to start cooking wild game. She is the author of The Hunter's Wife Guide to Natural Cooking, which is in the Back to Homemaking Collective. Danielle is a full-time homemaker and homesteader living a slow and simple life with her husband in the rural wilderness of Washington State on family land. Seven acres of backwoods country passed down four generations. Her experience as a hunter's wife has led to a life centered on hunting, fishing, homesteading, and of course, good home cooked food. In this episode, I speak with her all about how to get started cooking wild game, all from even how to break down the meat to how to cook the meat, uh, what's different between a pound of ground venison versus a pound of ground beef, and how they would differ in your cooking methods. This was a really fun conversation because I learned so much, and I hope that this is helpful for you guys. Hi guys, welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I am so excited today because I have Danielle from the Homebound Hippie over on Instagram with me today. We are talking all about how to cook with wild game. So that kind of, it's like venison, I don't know, bird game, fish, however you want to, you want to look at it. I have never done this before. I mean, like I pretty much stick to the chicken and ground beef and the you know, birds and fish probably more likely. So I'm really excited to have Danielle on today to talk all things wild game. So thank you so much for joining me, Danielle. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so could you tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your home, your homestead, your business, um, why you've kind of, how you kind of got into a lifestyle that involves wild game? Okay, so um I started out, me and my husband have lived on seven acres in Washington state for almost 10 years now, but we really didn't get started in like self-sufficiency. He's always been a hunter, but it wasn't for subsistence, which means to survive off of until I think it was about 2020 when everything started to kind of go crazy. He actually lost his job due to the mandates that happened. He was a healthcare worker. And from that point on, we realized, oh, wow, we can't depend fully on the system, on the grocery stores. After the shortages, we just realized that we need to become more self-sufficient. And so he really took up hunting as more of like a, you know, passion thing 
a hobby to I'm going to do this every year to make sure we have meat in the freezer. And so because we already live on seven acres past down from our family. It was the perfect solution. We were backed up to state land and a lot of state land is hunting land. So that's what led us into this lifestyle was just the desire for self-sufficiency and really out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's really amazing. Did he um, have like prior hunting skills like before, before that? Oh yeah. 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 He actually grew up in Northern Washington in the mountains with his family, their cattle ranchers and his dad taught him everything he knows about hunting. So he started at a very, very young age and it's always been something he's been passionate about. It's just, it wasn't for survival. You know, I mean, when he was younger, his dad definitely hunted for the survival of the family, but now that he has his own family, me and our home, it definitely turned into more subsistence hunting instead of just passion hunting. Yeah. So, um, when you guys got married, were you faced with having to deal with how to cook all this different kinds of stuff or did you grow up? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I definitely was just kind of thrown into it. I had some prior experience. I'd work at like a butcher shop and they sometimes did like cut up venison during the hunting season for the local hunters. So I had some experience of like the cuts and how the processing goes. And my mom and some of my family had hunted growing up, but it really was just to put some extra meat in the freezer, not to survive off what you hunted for. So it's definitely different. And I didn't do a lot of the hunting when I was young, like, I didn't do hunting at all. And I didn't do a lot of the cooking when I was younger. So it would definitely was like, I got thrown into it and had to learn on the fly. Yeah. Well, that sounds really great. I mean, it sounds like you've learned a lot, especially um, because we, we originally met um, because we're both contributors to the back to home making collective, which is actually at the time they're recording this, it's still live. It's live through the end of March, 2023. So if you're interested in checking out her, um, ebook that is on cooking with wild game. I definitely recommend it because I saw that and I thought it was so helpful and just kind of like a really great basics, um, but covers like a whole bunch of different recipes for different kinds of game. Um, so I reached out to you to have you on the podcast. So, um, can you tell me a little bit about, and you talked a little bit about how you got into it because your husband wanted to take on some more hunting, but what does that look like for you and your family right now? Uh, for, I'd say that it's a busy hunting season. And then the rest of the period of time, it's just meat in the freezer that we're cooking periodically. So it's all about filling the freezers. Hunting season is like an extremely chaotic time for me and my household. He's got a hunting party that comes over every year, including some of our own family and some friends, um, of his. And so it really is like a go, go, go for about I don't know, a month or two during hunting season. And that's when we do all of the processing and then all the cuts. And after that, it's really just being creative and coming up with meals and doing it on a daily basis. That way we have to steward the meat very well because you obviously have meat from say last year's kill or the year before that you want to use that up before this year's kill. And so you just kind of have to keep track of what you got and use it up smart and make sure that you're not wasting anything that you get. So that's kind of what it looks like for us throughout the year and how I kind of have to steward the meat. Um, it's definitely a process, but hunting season is the most hectic time. That's when everything really gets going. Yeah. What kind of game do you typically cook with? What'd you say? Do you- so right now we have 
turkey, elk, and venison in the freezer. And for me, it really is elk and venison. That's what my husband primarily hunts for. Um, we actually have an elk herd that kind of runs through this area every hunting season in the fall and they kind of stay around for winter. So that's like a really cool experience to get to see. And then it provides the opportunity for him to go out there with his hunting party and hunt for elk. And then deer is just abundant in this area in the Pacific Northwest. They're they're basically everywhere in Washington and it's the thing that most people are hunting for when they're going out hunting. Gotcha. How does um, the different kinds of game that you're exposed to, like how does that differ depending on where you live? Oh, it's definitely, I mean, depending on your climate, you're going to be faced with so much different, like wild abundant game. I mean, obviously if you're in Alaska, you're going to have moose, caribou, elk, you're going to have way more access to fish in the Pacific Northwest. We've got really good fishing. So we're exposed to like walleye and uh, bluegill and bass. And so we can get quite a bit of fish from the rivers. There's also crawdad, that, that type of thing. And then of course, like I said, elk, venison, and we have duck geese here. So it's going to, it's going to depend based on the state. I mean, obviously if you're down South and you're in the bayou, you're probably going to be hunting a lot different game than you're hunting up here in the Pacific Northwest for sure. Right. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, How, how would you say like, does the actual cooking process differ for some of these meats versus like chicken or beef? Um, I mean, it's a little different, but I think that people kind of overcomplicate it and they might get a little overwhelmed by that, the idea of like, oh, it's wild game. It's going to be different, but venison is not that much different from beef. It's red meat, just like beef is, it's just leaner. And so when you're cooking with it, you just kind of have to be aware of that and make sure that you're adding lots of moisture back into it. And you're making sure to cook with lots of healthy fats. Um, but when it comes to like, I just fry up steaks in my cast iron pan, you know, venison steaks, elk steaks, the hardest part is not actually the cooking. The cooking is very similar to beef. And I would say like duck and geese, that's a little different than chicken, but you can use it in a lot of the same recipe. So like I would do like a duck pot pie or like a turkey stew, that type of thing. So you can use it for a lot of the things that you're already used to. And that's how I really got started was just taking recipes that I'd used before for chicken. And I would just, you know, transfer it over to turkey or I would, you know, look at recipes that I'd use for say ground beef. And instead I would do ground elk and I would just make sure to kind of add back in some healthy fats like olive oil while I'm cooking it. So it's not as hard as people think. It's just, it's just getting used to it. And it's also kind of like getting over that hump of thinking that it's going to be a huge learning process, just like everything, you know, you get into it and you're going to be like, this is going to be so hard to learn. And then once you start learning it, you're like, oh, this is actually that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Probably isn't. It probably just sounds a little bit more intimidating. Probably like you were saying, the hardest thing's probably dealing with the seasonality of the hunting and then putting all the food up and then and then finding the proper ways to store it and, and use it up, you know, efficiently. Yeah, how, that's definitely the hardest part for yeah. sure. Yeah. How would you say it's a different seasons per like, like, do you have, I, I, I guess you do, you have like a deer season and then do you have an elk season or are they the same thing? Or do you have like a duck season? How does that look? Yeah, in Washington, it's going to be different for every state, but Washington 
is definitely we have a deer season and elk season. We even have a bear season, a cougar season. We have duck season, turkey season. Like they break it down in Washington state. There's lots of regulations that you have to follow and make sure that you're in line with. Um, and my husband keeps track of all of that information. Yeah. Him and his hunting party are always kind of looking online, making sure like, okay, it starts on this date when that's when we can go out and we can look for this. And that's, that's how they keep track of it. I just kind of go with the flow. Once hunting season starts, I know that it's probably not going to stop for at least a couple of weeks. And that if all of his hunting party is successful, it's going to be uh, a long meet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so could you give me a quick rundown of what the process looks like from like point of like your husband brings him a deer to you processing it or having it processed by a, you know, a business or whatever, and then to a meal on the table, let's say for a deer. Okay. So my husband goes out hunting pretty early and we actually process all of our own meat ourselves. So he's wherever he hits it, whether it's up in the mountains or he's going to be, you know, taking it down, it, the kill happens at a local farmer's field. Usually local farmers will allow access for some hunters they know. So we might, have gotten a kill on a field or maybe up in the mountains. The biggest part is field dressing. So getting it gutted and bringing it back home to hang up in the garage. And then from that process, they obviously have to skin it out, which is, it can be a tedious process and people have preferences on that. So some people like my husband, he prefers to skin it out later. So let it hang for a little while. You really only do that if it's the right temperature though, it needs to be cold enough to be able to let the deer hang obviously and his hunting buddy likes to do it the opposite way where he'll skin it out first and then let it hang for a little while and then we go through the process there there's kind of um cons to both like for skinning it out first you might have to cut away a lot of like um meat that his had been exposed to the air and got a little leathery and it can even develop some mold if the weather is, you know, in if, if the weather permits, the mold will grow. <laughs> That's kind of how it will happen. So you have to cut all of that off, use vinegar spray to clean it up. So that's why my husband likes to keep the skin on for a little while. And then once for this, once you keep the skin on, it actually is pretty simple because you may get some hair in your meat, but you're not going to lose a lot of meat the way that you would if you skin it out right away. So that is a benefit, but the skinning, and then we quarter it and have it from there. So basically they're going to have it and then they're going to quarter it. And then we're going to bring it in like chunk by chunk and we're going to debone it. And then that's where we start getting our steaks, our roasts. We can get stew meat. We usually cut out a lot of the scraps so that it can go to like hamburger. And then we also have to make sure to get out like, uh, what would be called like silver skin, which is just like a lot of tendon. So you have to make sure, cause if that goes in the grinder, then it, you're not going to get very good ground meat. And so there's not a lot of fat as well. So everything that you're cutting up, you're probably going to have to mix when you go to grind it with like pig fat or beef fat is what, like a lot of people prefer pig. So that is like the biggest process. And then from that to getting on the table, like it's really simple from there. Once you've got your cuts, you've got roast steak, stew meat. Well, then you just decide what meals you want to make and you start, you know, getting it ready. But my biggest role when it comes to the processing is definitely helping cut and then also doing the wrapping because I worked at a butcher shop. So one of the main things that I do is wrap all of the meat with butcher, uh, butcher paper. We usually bag it up or, you know, do clean wrap to store it in the freezer. 
I've yet to learn how to store it like by canning it, but that's something I'm really interested in getting into because I know that there's a lot of people who store the meat in other ways than just freezing it. But as of right now, that's how we store all of our meat. You store it by freezing it. Do you have to have like a lot of freezer space, you'd say? Yes. Yes, we do. We actually have, I mean, three freezers right now, one inside, we have two out in the garage. And when we actually get an elk, that's full. <laughs> it's like hard to organize for sure to keep track of. Yeah. And like how, how for you and your husband, how many deer for the whole year would you need? Uh, see deer does not actually last that long. I'd say, I mean, if me and my husband are being smart, we can make one deer last maybe two to three months. That's being very generous though. I'd say if you've got like a family of four, like my uh, cousin's family does, like one deer will get you by for a month. And so it's, you know, when you're thinking about hunting, you might think, oh, you get a deer that's going to get you for a while. It's actually not as much meat as you might think once you've deboned it and cut out all of the, you know, spare parts that you're not going to use. So it's so actually, the, I would say it's the elk for sure that once you get an elk that helps out when it comes to putting meat in the freezer the most, which is why they really prioritize elk season because it's so much more meat than just one deer. Yeah. Now is elk um, closest to like ground, like beef you'd say, or pretty much? It's actually within the venison family. They're both technically called venison. Most people just don't know that, but elk is, um, is, is really, really large. Uh, it's not as large as moose, but uh, it's definitely like, I'd say three, four times the size of just your regular mule deer. So it, it's definitely more meat. And they're, they're also very majestic, beautiful animals. So it's quite the, it, it's exciting to even just get to be a part of like seeing them, their herd kind of pass through, but then to also be able to access elk as meat that we eat on a normal basis. It's probably the healthiest meat that we could be eating on a normal basis. And it is similar to beef, I'd say in, like I said, the cooking, but it does, definitely has a different flavor than, than regular beef does. Um, so in your ebook, um, it's the hunter's wife, guide to hunter's wife guide to nat natural cooking yeah yeah Joe, yeah um it's uh like a really helpful guide because uh, it has a lot of different recipes and then it also has some really helpful like pictures and guides on how to like fillet fish and prepare it could you tell me a little bit about the fish that you deal with and a little bit about the filleting process that you have to do Right. So usually um, we've got quite a few fish down in the rivers around where we live. Um, it's mainly bass, walleye, perch, those type of bluegill, those type of fish. I would say the most abundant is definitely bass and walleye. That's what my husband is bringing home the most often. It's definitely kind of a summer thing that it has become kind of a tradition fishing every day in the summer and getting down to the lake and, you know, us girls be swimming in a different section while they're off fishing. And um, I'd say that it's a lot easier than people might think. Um, the fishing itself, like catching the fish, may be difficult for people who haven't done it before. But when it comes to the like gutting and filleting, it's a pretty simple process. Um, gutting, you're just, you know, cutting through the stomach and pulling out the entrails pretty easy. And then the filleting, that is definitely more of a kind of 
practice makes perfect type of thing because you don't want to get any bones in the fish that you're filleting. That's the hard part is like cutting away from the spine without hitting any of the bones and getting it in your food and then cutting off the skin. That part is actually pretty simple. And then cooking it, I think that the, that's probably one of my favorite things to do is actually to either bake it or to fry it up. And during the summers here at my home, that's like the main thing that we like to do is we'll catch some fish down at the lake and then we'll bring it up, fillet it, cut it into pieces, and then just do a big old fish fry. And it's kind of become like a tradition every summer to do that. And you fry it up similar to how you would chicken. It's really not that complicated. Use a batter or you just just do, you know, flour and egg. And, and that is definitely my favorite way of cooking it. And I think it goes the longest, you know, like it spreads out to, you can feed the most people with it and, um, baking it is also, it's just like what you would think, you know, you just put some butter, some lemon and you put it in the oven. So it's pretty, pretty easy and it's fun. You know, it's something you can get your kids involved in too. So it's Mm -hmm. not just like an adult process. It's not overly complicated. Lots of kids learn how to fish very young. That's really awesome. That sounds delicious. And it just sounds like, again, like a really great community building thing, like a whole day. Yeah, for sure. Actually, I forgot to mention this when I was talking about elk. Usually every time that the guys go out and they get an elk, we actually celebrate by there's a cut of the elk and of deer that's called backstrap, which comes straight out of the back. And it's like the most tender cut. And it's become a tradition at this point to where every time we get a deer, they usually cut the backstrap out, at least one backstrap right away. And then they bring it in so that I can prepare it. And I'll like stuff it with cream cheese and jalapenos and I'll like wrap it in bacon put some olive oil in it and like bake it in the oven or put it on the grill. And that is also become like a huge tradition of mm-hmm. ours. Uh, we probably <laughs> ate most of our backstrap that way. And it makes good steaks as well. Backstrap roast is really good, but that like stuffed backstrap has definitely become a staple in our household. That's really fun. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really want to get into hunting like waterfowl, just like duck, geese, that type mm-hmm. of thing, because I haven't had any experience really hunting except for being a part of the processing and the cooking, but they get a lot of joy from it. And it's a way that they can spend time out in nature and bond with each other. And then it's, it's exciting for the whole family when they get a deer, get an, especially when you get an elk, like it, when you come back, the satisfaction that they have, and then the relief that I have knowing that I'm going to not have to worry about meat for a while and that I don't have to buy as much from the grocery store. Like it, it's just good all around yeah I mean it always really take the back to like just the basics of getting like providing your own food or hunting your own food and taking care of your family so that's yeah really awesome. yeah and it's I think a lot more fun than people realize yeah um so I ask a lot of people these uh questions because I have a lot of homesteaders on and being a homesteader or being self-sufficient takes a lot um, of discipline or like a certain level of discipline. Can you tell me what that looks like for you? I'd say that, like I said, the the hunting part of it, when they're out hunting, for me, I'm not involved in that, um, except for the processing. So it really just comes down to being willing to do the hard work when the season comes. But when it comes to other aspects of homesteading that I'm really into, like sourdough or gardening, that definitely takes more of a like day-to-day approach and making sure that you're willing to do the hard work when you 
wake up and you need to feed your sourdough starter or your bread is just rise. Um, and like gardening, for example, right now, we're probably about two months out before we can actually like plant directly in the ground, but you know, you've got to get all of your seeds started and I'm planning my garden at the moment. And my husband is a big part of that. He like brings in garden beds and he'll go get dirt for me for like a local farmer. So I think it just takes a lot of planning and intention. And that's kind of how I've managed to be. And also knowing your why, like, I don't think it's easy to be disciplined if you don't have like a reason to why you're doing something. If you like, like I said, for us, we realized how we needed to be self-sufficient to be able to, you know, not just survive, but to be happy and thrive and not be worried about the market and inflation and job loss. Like if we want to be just in a stable situation, we definitely want to be self-sufficient. And so like, that's my why kind of going into it is having had the experience of just a complete upheaval in our life where we went from, there was no problem going to the grocery store had enough money to buy all the things we need. And then, you know, the mandates come, the pandemic comes and he loses his job and things get hectic. And so from that moment forward, I kind of had a why in mind and that helps me to like stay focused. Yeah, I agree. That makes sense. So um, what does your gardening season look like where you're at? Just curious. I think it's about, if I remember correctly, I think it's about like 145 days. So usually it's, um, I mean, we could get our last frost around April, but it usually doesn't come until like May 10th, I think. And then we can grow all the way up until October. We're usually getting our harvest from August to October. Um, for me, I actually was a little late on it last year. And so my gardening like season was cut short and I lost a lot of tomatoes because of it. I planted them a little too late in the season. I didn't get as many carrots as I should have. So it's definitely like knowing when that last frost date is getting seeds started beforehand and getting in the ground as soon as possible. But it is about like 145 days. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. It sounds similar. Like where we're at, we're at. we have usually like May ish too. October or so. so yeah. Work in the ground. Yeah. What would you say is a skill that you have mastered or could teach or talk about all day? Well, I'd like to say that it's cooking wild game, but actually what I've been like super passionate about lately is cooking, like baking sourdough. Um, I started a sourdough like from scratch a couple months ago because I actually got inspired from Instagram, like many people do, and started it from scratch. And it actually didn't take much trial and error. I mean, a little bit, of course, everything does. Um, but that became something that was just like fun for me to do. And I actually learned a little bit last year, but then got really into it this year. And I'm actually doing like a challenge for myself to cook all of the bread that we eat by doing sourdough. And sometimes I'll do yeast bread occasionally, but I'm not buying any of it from the store. And that has been harder than I expected, yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely worthwhile. And I've actually had a really, a lot of cool experience with, with sourdough because 
I started my starter, started baking sourdough bread, started scoring and learning how to do kind of the fun designs. And, and my grandma actually got interested in sourdough because I was talking about it. So then I shared my starter with her and then she started doing sourdough bread and she's does that. I mean, she's starting to do everything, biscuits, English muffins, all sorts of things. And then my uncle came over from the other side of Washington to visit her. And then he got some of the sourdough starter. So it just started to like spread around the family and become something that we're like, like sending pictures to each other in our like group family chat of all of our sourdough. So mm-hmm. that's something that, yeah, I'm definitely excited about and like to talk about probably a little too much, but yeah. no, that's great. You sat, started like a little sourdough revolution there in your family. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That's, pretty- that's awesome. All right. Well, this was a really fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, where can my audience find you? Okay, so I'm on Instagram as the dot homebound dot hippie. And then you can go to the homebound hippie, which is my blog, is the homeboundhippie.com. And then also I'm part of the Back to Homemaking Collective, as you mentioned. And you can find my ebook there, which is a hunter's wife's guide to natural cooking. It's got homestead recipes. And I also want to say that a lot of those recipes, like we talked about today, are transferable to ground beef. So if you're thinking, oh, I'm not gonna be able to, I don't have any venison or elk in my freezer, you can still use use a lot of them with just like sausage, what you know, ground pork, whatever you've got on hand. And so, yeah, you can go to the back to homemaking collective. Um, there's a website for it, but you can go to the link in my bio on my Instagram to actually get, you know, access to that as well as I'm sure you have, you know, posted links about it on your Instagram. Yeah, definitely. It's really great, uh, collaboration of many different women yeah. and lots of different resources for homemaking, homesteading, homeschooling, oh. all kinds of fun stuff. Oh yeah. And lots um, of different wealth and knowledge for sure. Yes. Yes. And that's like, you are stuck out, um, is one that I thought was super interesting. It's, again, it's the hunter's well, life guide you. to natural cooking. All right. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for joining me. Thanks for having me. It was nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the simple living made simple podcast. I have a brand new guide out that is just perfect for this time of year. The Ultimate Fruit and Vegetable Seasonal Guide is now available and you can grab it for free at www.savemyveggies.com. If you are like me, you have thrown away produce that you just never got a chance to use. I used to do this all the time. Especially this time of year, as my harvest starts coming in, it can be difficult to properly store everything and make sure I either preserve it in time or use it up. That's why I created this guide. This guide has everything you need to stop wasting fruits and vegetables that you either grow yourself or purchase at the store. Learn how to properly store 25 plus fruits and vegetables to help them stay fresher longer. This guide also includes a month by month seasonal timeline so you know when to stock up on inexpensive and high quality fruits and vegetables to save you time and money. Again, you can grab that free guide at www.savemyveggies.com. As always, if you have any questions, want gardening advice, or have a topic suggestion for the podcast, please email me at info at wingingitonthehomestead.com. At